2: On this episode,
0: I interviewed Adam
2: Jackson, who is an extremely impressive entrepreneur. He's the founder and CEO of Brain Trust. And formerly, he's the founder and CEO of Doctor on Demand, as well as a couple other very successful web-based internet marketplaces. We spend most of the conversation talking about Brain Trust and the future of work as it pertains to disruption of marketplaces on top of blockchain, using tokenized marketplaces. I believe now, after speaking with Adam, that every marketplace that exists is going to be significantly influenced. I don't know if it's disrupted, but influenced by blockchain and tokenization. Brain Trust is now doing over a million dollars a month. They've raised well over $20 million in capital and seem to be on a huge, fast-growing trajectory. So I encourage you to listen to this conversation. It was pretty mind-blowing to me as to the potential of blockchain tokenization to disrupt marketplaces. So if you're a potential founder, startups, or just interested in crypto and blockchain generally, this is a great conversation. With that said, I want to say that this podcast is brought to you by Otter Labs, O-T-T-E-R Labs. The website is hireotter.com. If you're looking to hire a developer or engineering team or someone to build out a product, or an idea that you have, check out hireotter.com. They can help you find developers based in South America, specifically Argentina, that are between 20 and $50 an hour based on the seniority and skills you're looking for. So, check them out, hireotter.com. And with that, I bring you Adam Jackson, CEO and founder of Brain Trust. All right, Adam Jackson, I'm super excited to, to have you on. You and I, I think we met a few years ago uh, through some mutual friend i was looking on linkedin we have 150 mutual friends which is pretty high but i think you and i have some overlaps with uh having started companies in healthcare and now in crypto uh can you just give a little background as to the highlights of the things you've been working on yeah for sure um well great to see you, mike thanks for having me on um so my quick background i'm a software engineer by training i
1: studied computer science at vanderbilt university moved out to san francisco ran right out of school that was quite a while ago been out here since uh 2003 uh so i'm an old man out here um but i'm sort of an engineer turned entrepreneur um brain trust my current project is my fourth venture-backed company all marketplaces all in different categories uh first one was an e-commerce company acquired by intuit second one was an automotive marketplace acquired by advanced auto parts uh third one is called doctor on a man which is a large video telemedicine company uh and then now brain trust which i've been working on for about three years
2: hmm yeah i love it uh a marketplace founder, how, how do you think about uh, the similarities between the different companies? I mean, when you jump into a project, say, from a first spark of inspiration, what, what do you lay down? Do you think that has parallels across each project?
1: Yeah, I mean, they're, they're all tech-enabled marketplaces. So Braintrust is a, is a global talent marketplace that connects technical talent, product managers, designers, programmers with big companies that have insatiable demand for them, like Nestle, Porsche, Goldman Sachs. Um, but they, what they all have in common is like, it's using software to bring demand and supply together. And, you know, they're very hard businesses to start because you have two different customers you're trying to serve at the same time, supply and demand. Um, and so you've got to get to product market fit for both of them and then you've got to get them to transact. And so they're really tough businesses to build, but once once you build them, they're incredibly valuable and powerful. And um, the goal with this one is to get the network effects going so strongly early on with the, you know, the talent, the supply side major being majority owners of the network. Um, so you keep those incentives aligned, uh, between the people who make their living on the marketplace and the people who own and operate the marketplace. And so that's, yeah, that's been my,
2: probably my common theme. Hmm. Do you get, do you work with the same team across the businesses or is it pretty, lot pretty of fresh team? Yeah. Uh, a lot of
1: overlap. Um, you know, uh, I have had amazing teams at all four companies, um, and, and every chance I get, we'll, we'll bring people along uh, to, to keep going.
2: Mm. So, what was the what was the spark? I imagine it was a frustration from Doctor on Demand or past business with Brain Trust, and realizing there's a a problem in the what would you call it? Not recruiting, but the connecting space of figuring out where you want to go and start working at a new company. Yeah, I'll, t- I'll tell you what sparked it
1: is. So having built three marketplaces, web-enabled marketplaces as a co-founder and then invested in you know, almost a 100 more, I-, I got to see like there's one dirty little secret about web-enabled marketplaces that people don't talk about, but it-, it at scale can be very corrosive is this misalignment of incentives between the people who make their living on the marketplace and the folks who own and operate it. And the way that starts, if you rewind, like how do you get a web-enabled marketplace to scale? Well, the typical playbook is you go raise hundreds of millions or billions of dollars in venture capital. You use that money to subsidize one or both sides of the marketplace to gain market share quickly. You get users. You're connecting supply and demand. And then, if you're lucky, most most companies die well well into this phase. But if you're lucky enough to break orbit and um, and get liquidity in your marketplace it's time to start paying those investors back. And rightfully so, right? They're risk on investors. Mm -hmm. They deserve a return on their capital. But where does that return come from? Well, it's going to come from transaction fees on the marketplace. So some percentage of all those transactions needs to be extracted from the network and then returned to shareholders, right? That's the the typical investor-owned network. And so what happens when that third phase kicks in is incentives start to diverge between the people mm-hmm. who make their living on the network so that might be like drivers for Uber, dashers on DoorDash, whatever, you know, restaurants on Yelp and the folks who own the marketplace which are typically venture capitalists. And so I thought look, and 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 when you, you know, when that happens, when those incentives diverge it gets ugly, right? You're seeing this play out in the gig economy right now, you saw it play out with Uber where so many of the drivers who depend on them to make a living are at or below poverty line, and so I thought, you know, when when I when I got out of sort of day to day operations at Doctor on Amanda, which by the way, that that's not why I left there. That just turned into a giant enterprise healthcare company. We we need a real manager to take over. So that's why.
2: I, <laughs>
1: that's why I stepped out of day to day. I'm yeah. much more of a zero to one guy. But um, but I started thinking, you know, there's got to be a better way to grow these marketplaces in a way that keeps incentives aligned instead of having half your users hate the operator. And so this is where we came up with this kind of idea of a user-owned economy. So it's the big idea here is we think user-owned marketplaces will grow faster and become more valuable than investor-owned marketplaces. And the way to do that is to give folks ownership and control over the network early and often in proportion to the contribution they're making and so mm. that's what we're doing with brain trust it's a whole new ownership model and it's you know interestingly it's one that's uniquely enabled by a blockchain token so you know i always use this example like you know what if travis and team at uber would have could have given ownership and control of the uber network to drivers early on and then to more riders and more drivers as they spread the word and recruited more people to the network opened up new cities maintain five-star um reputation like instead of you know having to hire tens of thousands of people they could have had the network kind of grow itself right well to be fair like there were no tokens back then and you just mm-hmm. can't give shares of a Delaware C Corp to you know 10 million people in 40 countries you, you, like mm-hmm. logistically and legally impossible but you can do that with a token tokens are as easy as sending an email or an instant message that's how easy it is to transmit it and so that's how you know this is interest, kind of the user owned economy is, is a, it's a, a new
2: business model enabled by a new technology. That's kind mm. of, that's the new piece. Do you see it as a blend? I mean, do you see, cause initially the venture capital will be used for paying people's salaries to do work, acquiring demand, supply, spending on marketing, H- how it, it seems a little bit like unless you can raise enough money from the people who are buying into the initial token, that there's still a money gap there. Like, uh, yeah. does that make sense? For sure, yeah. Not. So, so in the, the role of investors doesn't
1: go away, right? Like, you still, like you still need startup capital. We've raised about $25 million over two rounds, a seed round and a, and a growth round. And that's all we'll raise. So $25 I mean, it's, it's a lot of money. But like for building a web-enabled marketplace is actually nothing, right? That's a mm-hmm. minuscule amount of money. And so we've got the network to sustainable, based on that small amount of initial capital. So there's still a place for investors. But the network, uh, when we publicly launch Brand Trust later this year, will be you know, majority
2: controlled by its users. Hmm. So tell me where things are today. So you said you, when you publicly launched later this year, <clears throat> uh, what is the team size or back-end product or how much have you guys tested things?
1: Yeah, for sure. So, you know, we've been at this, I wrote the token ec- economic paper for this back in May of 2018. So it was three years ago. Um, we raised a seed round for it in November of 2018, which was uh, no fun. That was, uh, if you remember, the crypto winter back in 2018. Yeah, this The space, yeah. the space you, if you think it's funny now, because of Dogecoin, it was really bad in 2018. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so we raised that. We spent 2019 building out the platform. 2020, we got into public or private beta, rather. Uh, March of 2020, COVID hit. Uh, all these businesses you know, were sort of forced to become remote companies overnight because they were all locked out of their offices. And that was really an inflection point for this model. We're, we're a global distributed talent network. All these Fortune 1000s were like, Shoot, we need remote engineering and design teams, and you know that's what we do. So, COVID, the COVID lockdown ended up being a lucky break for this business model, um, and so we raised a, uh, a strategic funding round in October of 2020. A bunch of great investors, both traditional venture and um, uh, token focused hedge funds, things like that. Pantera, MultiCoin, Blockchain, Acme VC, kind of came in and led that round about 20 million. Um, and now we're, um, you know, growing like crazy. We've grown about 40% uh, month over month for marketplace revenue. Um, we had our first million dollar month in February. So we're just like really ramping fast here. Um, and we'll we'll publicly launch the network and the token, you know, later this year.
2: Wow. So the, the private, the people using it now are through private uh, requests from companies. And then I imagine on the worker side, how does that how can you not be public and have a million a month in revenue?
1: Yeah. So, so so public means anybody can join, right? So right now it's still invite only, believe it or not. Um, And so um, the majority of talent joining are from talent and community referrals. The majority Mm -hmm. of the clients come on also from referrals. Uh, We pay folks uh, in token for those referrals, the brain trust token. And so that token's not live yet uh, to your point. It's Mm -hmm. it's still a test net token, uh, later this year, when the when the token and network launch will become a, an Ethereum mainnet token. Mm. Uh, you talk about team size too. This is an important one. So we have a really small core team. It's less than twenty people. Almost all the work that goes into building this, you know, now multi million dollar, really fast growing marketplace are the users, right? The users that are recruiting talent, vetting talent, recruiting clients, onboarding clients, uh, doing marketing work. Um, you know, helping build the brand. We don't have any mm. core team engineers. All of our engineering are done by members of the community, and so it's really like we we started out as a community run project from day one.
2: Wow! So is it set up as a Delaware C
1: corp? So there there are actually many Delaware C corps contributing to the network, but the protocol itself it's it's yeah. a, pro- it's a yeah. protocol on Ethereum, right? It's it's like yeah. Bitcoin isn't a company, right? It's a blockchain. Yeah, yeah. Ethereum. There's no company there now. There's consensus. There's Ethereum Foundation. There's you know hundreds of companies mm-hmm. that benefit from Ethereum's existence, but Ethereum itself is basically a public good, right? And so Brain Trust is the same thing. It's built. Brain Trust is built on Ethereum, but it it's a, it's a nonprofit. It is not meant to um, you know extract fees or, or or benefit anyone the token is not a profit return mechanism the po- token's used for governance it's used for bid staking it's used for controlling the uh the product roadmap and it's it's it the token is designed to help folks who make their living on brain trust who are very much for-profit they're hmm. individual programmers or agencies very much for-profit entities um it, brain trust because it it's it's controlled by its users can drop its fees so we we, we have a 0% platform fee to talent and a 10% fee we charge clients. And that's just to keep the lights on, right? It's just a, mm-hmm. it's a self-sustaining thing. So you can think of brain trust like a, a protocol for work. It's a public good and everyone that benefits on it, you know, is very much a for-profit. So there's m- many, many C's and other global corporations that are uh, helping build brain trust because they're benefiting, they're growing their business because of brain trust.
2: Yeah. Interesting. So when you when you raise from uh like multicoin and Pantera, those folks, would they have bought the token directly or they would have acquired shares of any? Yeah. So entity? there's no
1: n- no shares. Um none of the mm-hmm. Delaware C's are selling shares. They're those are all little private companies that are just talent agencies, basically. Um, not not venture style businesses. So um the early investors in this, um, Project or you know they bought tokens or a, a SAFT which is something that converts into a token, mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. and that's how you position it as well. So you'll you own presumably a significant amount of tokens on the on, on the network, and you're working to increase the value of the token. No, I I own I, I own less tokens than you'd think.
1: <laughs> um, Why <laughs> my my co-founder and I have probably fifteen percent of the tokens to, you know combined. Uh The major, and then another fifteen or eighteen percent, you know, go to investors, and then the rest, so sixty something percent, are given out to the community. And um, and the reason I'm doing it, there's a few a few reasons personally. One, like Mm -hmm. I have a freelance development shop uh, that makes money as a as a talent source on Brain Trust, so I've actually Mm -hmm. always had it since college. Um, Nice. And so, like, I'm a user just like everybody else. I happen to be one of the founding users of brain trust. Um, But then like, it's also a passion project for me. Right. It's like, I'm really like, I I really think that network, you know, marketplace operators or talent agencies that, you know, take talent from developing parts of the world, mark them up three X and then overcharge clients like Nike or Deloitte or Goldman Sachs. Like they take all the value in that transaction. Right. And I just think that's, I think it's shitty. I think it's, it's unfair to the talent. I think it's a rip off for the client. And so, I'm passionate about, you know, building this brain trust as a protocol for work, right? Just like yeah. Ethereum is a protocol for smart contracts and Bitcoin is a protocol for store value, brain trust is a protocol for work. We connect folks who are information workers who can do work from a computer with folks who need them, like big companies, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then you get out of the way, right? And you, you, yeah. and you take all that value that used to be extracted by the middleman, by the, the big consulting firms or the Upworks of the world. And you give that value back to the people who make their living on the network.
2: Yeah, I love it. The similarities are just uh, super interesting. So yeah, I I also started in healthcare with a marketplace called Home Hero. We raised $23 in venture, sold the company, and then I started a a crypto uh, business called Redeem in 2018, where we allowed people to on-ramp into crypto using... Uh, non Fiat, like gift cards or vouchers, airline that sort of thing, and uh, and the whole time I have also a talent agency, like a staff augmentation company called Otter, and I always think about like we we basically focus on helping people helping r- remote companies hire developers specifically in Argentina and South America, so it's a, you know it's a very it's like a very targeted model, but. This whole time I'm thinking, how do, what is the what's the introduction of blockchain into the, the whole placement? or I think of it as a few different problems or a few different ways it could change. One is the the, the actual connection. So you know meeting a person directly is you know it has to happen somehow and usually involves a bit of work either through referral or luck. Um, and so I see the value in, in agencies that have a, a big network and they can put out the network, screen people, and then there's the screening of the person themselves determining who is a good fit for this role specifically. And the more nuanced and senior the job, the more screening generally goes along with that. And yeah. And so I, I think like there, it does make sense to have, how do you, how do you think about the screening portion of it, uh, on the network? Is that done by screeners or validators? Yes. Yeah, I mean, as you know, like screening is really important, right? Because
1: we're we're placing um, enterprise grade talent into enterprises Mm. that need them, and so this isn't like, hey, design me a logo and a WordPress site for fifty bucks, you know, the kind of stuff you'd see on Upwork or Fiverr. This is like, hey, we're building software for banks and car companies and insurance companies, and you know, it's heavy stuff. So screening for quality is extremely important. Um, So the first like hundred or so people, you know, myself and the core team screened ourselves. And then, you know, the next thousand were, like, invited and screened by the community. And now, you know, the majority of talent coming in are screened by our community. And that's one of the ways you earn tokens on our network is by
2: helping Mm. screen talent. How does that logistically work? Like, would I schedule a Zoom call with someone and then give them a rating to... Yeah, there's... We we
1: blend... You sort of blend um, asynchronous and synchronous screening all together. So you want folks that can, like, you know, prove their skill competency, uh, you know, maybe asynchronously, but then also like, you know, pr- prove they that they are who they are. Say they are when they're, you know, on a live video call. And so it's a combination of things.
2: Mm-hmm. So that from a technical perspective, would there be tests like, a, yeah. I guess, is it? Yeah. So there's custom in-house, like coding tests or marketing yeah, tests that you that guys. Cover-ups. Oh, awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Got it. That makes sense. What, 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 is the most challenging part of it. If So far, everything seems you're like calm and cool. And you know, this seems like a hugely fast growing business. What's yeah. What do well, you think about? What,
1: what? Well, Mike, you, you know, I mean, you've built businesses. It's all hard, right? Everything, everything's yeah, yeah, hard. Yeah. Um, it's just like, is it, is it, are you feel like, do you feel like it's going to kill you that day or not? <laughs> 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 you know? like, yeah. Um, yeah. It's all hard. Um, I'll, I'll tell you like, you know we we when you build a marketplace is you know you know you've got to you, you sort of you got to pick one side to build overbuild and then lure the other side in supply or demand right so like uber started with a bunch of black cars and then they would lease out some taxi time and then they would fill it back fill with demand right so they start supply doctor and demand is the same thing we started with more doctors and then layered in the patients and then you sort of try to keep them tight right and so we started with more supply we 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 loaded up the network with hundreds of developers and product managers and designers um, and then spent you know most of 2020 like you know layering demand in and you know matching with supply and we always had a little more supply than and then demand and then covid inverted all of that for us and so um we now have far more demand than we can keep up with we have enterprise companies like banks and insurance companies and car companies coming in and saying like we'll take all of it. <laughs> like we'll take everybody. And, um, and so we're, we are, you know, paying more generous through uh, bonuses now for referring qualified talent and helping bet them. You can earn, you know, quite a lot of tokens. We do, we also do cash offers, um, use brain hire slash hire. It would be the landing page to go to. I have to plug if you're uh, talent yeah. look, looking to come in. Um, but like, yeah, it's, you know, um, it's amazing because most agencies and most talent marketplaces are usually demand constrained, right? I mean, you always hear, like if you listen to Upwork or Fiverr's earning calls, it's always about attracting more clients and with the inverse condition here right now. So, uh, and I'm sure that'll flip back at some point, but um, yeah, really scrambling to bring on enough talent to, to fill these amazing, very well-paying roles.
2: Are most of them technical, like a software engineering, or would you say, from enterprise. It seems like you're targeting enterprise specifically. Are they? Yeah. It's, I mean, were, it's, yeah.
1: A lot of engineers, um, a lot of, uh, design UX product managers. Uh, it's all the
2: above. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. What other, outside of taking a step back from, uh, from the network specifically at brain trust, what other projects are you involved in? You mentioned this is a passion project. Do you have other active projects, investments that you spend time in?
1: Um, not really. This is like, you know, this yeah. is
2: really my day-to-day role.
1: Um, I mean, I'm I'm an active, semi-active investor in this space as well. I, I helped uh, co-found a hedge fund called Cambrian Asset Management, which is a digital asset management company. Uh, my, my, myself and two friends started in um, 2017. Brain Trust actually incubated out of the fund. Um, and so I'm no longer a GP mm. there, but um, we'll help out there whenever I can. And then I, you know, I'm an angel... Uh, in, a, in many, many, many different projects and um, so helping support the IDEO collab team right now on something they're doing called Syndicate, which is moving a lot of venture capital onto the blockchain. So also very, very passionate about that space.
2: Where do you think that goes? I, I've been thinking about that recently. Uh, how do you think blockchain affects venture capital?
1: Yeah, so I, I think um, it, it makes an already very competitive business, venture capital, even more competitive, and um, and that's a good thing for founders and for I think the the general progress of society. It, it reduces sort of the gatekeeping that venture firms have traditionally um, served as for for capital uh, to to early stage founders. Um, so I think you know these tokenized communities, these user owned communities, things like Brain Trust, and you see m- many many projects in in the DeFi space. Um, they will. They will raise funds and then have this sort of large treasury. I mean, if you look at projects like Filecoin or Uniswap or Compound, you know, they, they end up generating these large treasuries. And one of the novel ideas I see our friends at IDEO, so Ian Lee and, and others exploring, are um, this, this concept of allowing, you know, splitting up those treasuries and allowing the community to really directly control how a lot of those funds are deployed for, for the betterment and the advance of the network. Right. So, so imagine like, you know, imagine your venture back company, you raise a hundred million dollars, you know, just the, the old fashioned way and by selling stock. And then you let you, you, you divide that up into like, you know, you take half of it and do, you know, 10, $5 million buckets. And then you have like 10 segments of your customer base decide how it gets used. <laughs> like what an like huh. what an interesting way to think about product and network development, right? It's like you know because community mostly is your are your customers at the end of the day, right? And so that's certainly the case for Brain Trust. And so um, it, IDEO and these guys are, are thinking about ways to have you know community, who are the folks that directly care the most and benefit from the protocol, decide how the how the protocol should advance. You know, even so far as by using their tokens to vote on. Um, how funds are distributed. So, brain trust is moving in this mm. direction. But I, I, so I think that's an interesting way to deploy capital, and and thus an, an interesting way to raise capital too. Right. Mm. So, I think all of that sort of puts additional pressure on the venture industry who are supposed to add value. Right. They're supposed to deliver capital and add value and join the board and all this stuff. And that old model of venture, I think, is just being you know, chipped away yeah. through, through these new.
2: Yeah. And it just doesn't, it doesn't, I mean, in my experience, we had great members on the board, but they're in no way, it's hard to segment out what's the value of a, a board member or an investor versus what's the value of the capital. I, I mean, my, my gut guess on that would be 90% Five ninety-eight percent of the money invested typically is is the value of the capital. If you wanted to hire a person on to be a a founder coach or an advisor, strategic advisor, you can just you can just pay a person to do that or give them equity. I I don't I don't see any intrinsic need for the the capital to be wrapped in with the advisory services of the investor. It seems like you could completely segment that and and there'd be no issue. So. I mean, and, and I've helped a couple of founders raise money and think through it, and it just doesn't, it's really tough for people to, investors specifically, to justify the value after the investment. Uh, so yeah, I, I I think that makes a lot of sense. On the deployment, though, I want to dig into that for a second, just as a thought exercise. So imagine there's a couple of companies that run as co-ops, like REI, I know yeah. is one. And they're it's still not, there's still a person, as a CEO, that's going to make executive decisions, an executive team and a board. And then the profits are shared with the employees of the, the co-op members. But can you run a company as a democracy successfully? I mean, say you have two equally, just put on this, this example for a second, two equally sized companies, equal talent, equal funding. One is controlled by an executive team with a board and a CEO. The other, the important strategic decisions are made by voting. So everyone in the company gets one vote, they all vote, and then they decide which direction to go. I mean, is it obvious which company wins or what's your... Well, in in that example, it is
1: obvious. central Centrally controlled wins. But I would propose a a third option where you actually have, instead of a centrally controlled person or entity kind of reaping all the profits and extracting all the value, and then you're taking their cut, salaries, bonuses, and then distributing the rest of shareholders. Um, I would say like, what if everyone is working on a protocol, which, which doesn't make any money, right? The protocol just facilitates the marketplace and then lots of different centrally controlled for-profit entities can compete for dominance or influence over that protocol. Right. So it's almost like, um, you know, you see this in Ethereum where it's like, Hey, how should we, you know, decide the future of Ethereum? You know, should it the miners get more fees or should the holders get more fees or should we do this or do that? Or what performance should it have? And like, there's all these for-profit entities uh, like the DeFi co- projects that, you know, have a stake in this stuff, right? So you have, it's like hyper-capitalism if you think about it that way, mm. right? So you have all these projects that um, take take the public good of, of Ethereum or the public good of brain trust, build their for-profit business on it, um, accrue tokens yeah, along the way, right? Because that's how the protocol works. Those tokens are represent control, and then they get to decide and debate on what the future of the protocol looks like. So that's that's sort of the new hybrid way we're seeing things work in blockchain.
2: Do you feel like the 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 difference between that and a company conceptually would be that if you you know say uh Adam completely disagrees with the management of the token on the blockchain. you can just fork it, make your own, and invite people to your new party with a company you can't really i mean I guess if you have all open source code I mean you can't really it's not the same right because you have what customer accounts you have some proprietary information in the company, presumably um do do you see those as close parallels or is it like quite a bit different with the idea that a company can't just be reproduced and forked the way a blockchain can. Yeah.
1: And, and look, blockchains can't always be easily forked either. Right. I mean, you can fork software, but you can't fork people. Right. So, so community matters. Yeah. Like, community, <laughs> yeah. you know, you, liquidity, like wh- where people go and what they do. like That's trust. a good like, line, like,
2: by the way, you should,
1: uh, you can fork code. You should non- tweet people. that one out. You can fork. <laughs> I like that. That's a good one. Um, Yeah, it's true though, right? So it's like with with Brain Trust, you know, like we're gonna when we launch, we'll open source the software, so anyone can create a copy of Brain Trust and do whatever they want with it. They're not gonna bring Nike, Porsche, Goldman with them, right? Like those people already have relationships with Mm -hmm. the talent they found on the on the current Brain Trust marketplace. Um, It's the same way as like the, the Ethereum chain you know today has nothing to do with Ethereum Classic, even though a mere three years ago they were the same chain, right? Now nobody uses Ethereum Classic, so. Um, you like software, like that's the thing is like when, you you know, when these web enabled marketplaces started 10 years ago, software was hard, right? Like building, you know, Uber's innovation was Mm -hmm. using a smartphone to connect supply and demand. Now, like me and you could get a case of Red Bull and in a weekend rebuild Uber from scratch technologically, right? It's not the software that Mm -hmm. makes these marketplaces valuable. It's the people and the identity. And the, and the relationships. And so that that's what a real marketplace is. So, mm. so then if you take that fact and say like, okay, well, if it's the people that are valuable, not the software, why are software-enabled marketplaces taking disproportionate fees? Why can Upwork charge 25 35%? Why is Fiverr taking 50% when they are, are they're just software at the end of the day, right? So this is like, you know, we're, we're moving down this track of like, just making, just connecting supply and demand doesn't deserve a 50% fee.
2: Mm. So, do you look at every marketplace out there, every every web-enabled software marketplace, and say, if there's investors that own the company and there's transaction fees, then play it out long enough, and blockchain is going to come in and offer a better alternative for the people who use the product? Hundred percent,
1: dude. That's a, that's exactly the, the yeah. conclusion to come to. Like, um, dry, Like, I think about Branches is not doing this, God. but like, you know, dry, like think about last mile marketplaces, people who deliver other people or food giant industry, right? DoorDash, Postmates, Uber Eats, Lyft, blah, blah, blah. Like those are highly extractary companies taking transaction fees, usually from the restaurants and or drivers, um, and not usually not providing value commensurate with the fee extraction, right? There's some value being provided, obviously, but not commensurate with the extraction. So someday someone will come along and say, look, we're going to be a driver owned network, right? And like, forget Mm. the corporate middleman we're going to build a tokenized network and the, you know the way you get more tokens is you invite more drivers and maintain a good reputation and and these networks will tokenize and it, it won't be the publicly traded companies that do it to themselves right this is like this is disruption through absolute starting over right and so um yeah i think this brain trust model i'm i'm convinced will be a blueprint for how other web enabled marketplaces will get reimagined uh, to be user owned
2: God, my my mind is exploding. I mean, when you when you really process that, the number of marketplaces that exist and the amount of capital that's gone into them and the amount of just total market share they own is insane. I mean, it's 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 been I, I think it's gotta have been the number one most interesting venture perspective venture call it segment or focus. Um yeah. How, how does this? How does that not happen? I, all right. Let me ask you this question: What do you think about the distribution of wealth? Does this in- increase, uh, decrease, or unknown for wealth inequality between people who are providing services on the marketplace versus investing in them? I mean, obviously, we feel pretty consolidated because capital is owned by venture capital. So it would seem like this moves the other way, where people on the network own a bigger percentage of the network itself, and then there's 100%. less consolidation.
1: Absolutely I mean this is like you're just hitting these points like it's, it's like reading our investor deck almost except we didn't put in the, the societal fairness piece because VCS usually don't care about that. but um, like if you think about what we, what we have today is um, the wealth inequality problem was only I always say the gig economy's real. Innovation was figuring out how to fuck over labor in ways that prior generations (laughs) never do. That was their only real innovation, right? Was was figuring out how to uh, effective. Like, I'm quoting a a Georgetown article from 2017 or 18 where they did a study on Uber drivers and other gig gig economy drivers and like figured out what their effective minimum wage was. Like, after you deduct Mm. the gas they have to pay for and, and all this stuff. And like, they're at like five dollars an hour effective. the the effect The effective national minimum wage used to be like twelve something. The gig economy brought it down to five something dollars per hour. That was the and, and then like they don't unionize, they don't get benefits. Like so, you know, like the gig economy really was an economic disaster for labor. And you know, and people are it's a it's reasonable to be angry with tech. At for that right, and that that's a reasonable criticism. And my opinion has always been: look, tech created this problem; tech should solve it. And so that's where we come from at Brain Trust: is let's you know, in, instead of having a for-profit corporation in the middle that its only job is to extract as many fees as possible from every delivery or every connection made, let's make that open source. Let's let's make it owned and controlled by its users. Bring that rake. As close to zero as possible, and take that old rake that was being extracted before, and just give it back. Give it back to the users. Mm. Give it back to the folks who make their living on the network. So prices don't have to go up for for the demand mm. side, but more the value goes back to the folks providing the service. And yeah, you know, you get you get rid of the middleman. So if, so if software ate, or you know, if software is eating the world, blockchain's eating the middleman. Right. That's yeah, what we're
2: yeah. yeah. That's a great way to point. think about it. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Because, so yeah, that, that, and that, and that in and of itself,
1: like that's so that's a market driven solution that happens to help dramatically, I think, fix the income inequality problem. Right. I don't, I don't mm-hmm. really like, I don't see wealth inequality as a huge problem. Like, wealthy people should be as wealthy as they want as long as they're not breaking the law. Income inequality, though, is a big, it's a big problem. And so mm-hmm. th- I think this helps close that gap dramatically.
2: Hmm. That's so fascinating. It's really, yeah. Blockchain, eating the margin, eating the, eating the take. So the initial people, so you built, say like, let's spin up another, uh, product. Say there's a Airbnb for marketplace, blockchain based Airbnb. Uh, the initial people on there that are going to host the, the buildings have that, have the homes for, for rent. Those people are going to be incentivized because they want to own a piece of, say they look at it initially, tell me if you agree with this, that the initial people on the supply side of a marketplace, blockchain based marketplace would, would be using it for the value of the transaction, but also, and maybe even more so for the value of the increase in the token. So they, they're saying, I want to be an early user in this, in this token, because I want to grow my wealth on the token. Whereas people late stage on the marketplace, they're just using it because it's a low transaction fee. It's just the best marketplace. Is that?
1: I mean, look, so, so, um, that's one. it's one way to look at it certainly in obviously people speculate on token the prices of tokens right that is not the business we're in we have made Mm. a token economy where the token is the only way to participate in the economy and the more Mm. you participate the more you can grow your business right so like Mm. the the, our our token has no cash value today and and whether it does or not in the future is out of our control but it's designed to not Right. And so mm. it, like I you can't I really don't believe in creating a tokenized network just so like the early people can get rich. You know, it's just that mm. that's that's antithetical to what we're doing. What we want to do is create a tokenized network where the 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 flywheel of the marketplace spins because people are earning tokens which represent control. Governance, right? And so the early in your example, the early people who are supplying real estate on the the tokenized Airbnb, they want they they want to accrue tokens because those tokens will represent how the network grows, what the rules are, um, instead of just you know Chesky and Crew deciding what the mm. rules are, right? I have, look, I, and I have to think Chesky does a good job. I don't like to put yeah. on Airbnb because they're, they're they're one of the few marketplaces, web enabled marketplaces, that I think actually provides as much value as they extract right like I, I don't think those guys ever get disrupted i think uber gets disrupted all day long you know the food companies those guys are dead meat once this tokenized thing really gets put hold but you know airbnb is a complex business you've got insurance on the the rental yeah. reputation management dispute re- resolution blah, blah blah but let's pretend they weren't doing a good job so a- as a homeowner uh, apartment owner um you know, I, I want to vote. I want to say over how this thing goes. And it's, so it's not just the corporation arbitrarily deciding the fate of my rental business, right? So you you do it for reducing the fees you pay and exerting control. Those are the hallmarks of a Mm. good tokenized network. It shouldn't be done. So like early people can, can make a lot of money, you know, Mm.
2: Do you pick on, say, Uber or the, the the food delivery apps because they charge too much? Or is it just a, a fundamental part of their business model that's flawed? Look, I, I think, you know, a marketplace operator should not extract
1: more value than it provides. And if it does, it's leaving itself vulnerable for disruption. So let's look mm-hmm. at a Postmates, right? Like Postmates will... Um, charge the restaurant something, then they'll then they'll take a fee from the driver, and you know the the only happy party there is the consumer, the person ordering the food, right? And so if like, if, like the restaurants will like beg their customers to not order through postmates because they're mm. losing money on a unit economic basis, like it, that. Look, your business is fucked if that's if that's a problem, right? If one or more sides of your network. Would do anything to get rid of you. Yeah, you're you're going to get killed. Right, you. you, Someone smarter than you will figure out a better way, and that's the beauty of capitalism, right? Market-driven solutions. And so, user-owned networks are the market-driven solution for overly extractionary marketplace operators. And that's why I say, like, so some of these are more susceptible than others, right? I think you know. Yelp got what got, you know, like I mean Google ended up dismantling them, but somebody else would have eventually because they were extracting from those businesses. Um uh the the food delivery guys I think are highly extractionary for what they're doing. Uh Airbnb, not so much. Like like I just said, I think those I think those guys have a good long-term business because they provide so much value.
2: Mm, Yeah, it's almost like the more complex and like there's some value in having a consolidated effort on local regulations or lobbying and taxation maybe. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost this, the more straightforward transactional businesses in your case, Fiverr, Upwork, which is going to be interesting to see how that (laughs) plays out. Cause I'm sure once people learn about and start using brain trust, there's, there's almost a point of no return where they can't, it's like the elephant can dance. Are you familiar with that idea? The, uh, the incumbents in the space, just what do you do? What do you do if you're Fiverr, uh, say or if you're you're running upwork you're the ceo of upwork 5 years from now brain trust is growing you see the writing on the wall you listen to this podcast i mean do you just see these companies riding into the night like blockbuster style or do you think they just need to make a hard pivot into tokenizing well, well two well two responses first you can't hard
1: pivot into dropping your fees by 80% right your stock will go mm-hmm. to zero you're done right that is that's like just solving the problem by blowing yourself up so they're not gonna do that um, I, I also don't think like I, I'm not a zero-sum thinker by any measure like mm. th- these markets where um, where you know information workers are leaving full-time roles becoming freelancers and they want to do you know gig work on their own terms for big companies that market is is, is almost it's growing so quickly and is so large, that it's almost immeasurable. We can't even measure Mm. the damn thing. It's so it's, it's measured in the trillions of dollars per year at GSV. And so, you know, we, we're not like brain trust isn't here to eat anyone's lunch, certainly not fiber or upworks. Um, and so I, I wouldn't, you know, I, I, I think those companies will do just fine. Right. I now look apples to apples. If you're a, if you're a developer, a designer, a product manager, you should be on brain trust instead of Upwork, right? Like, you, <laughs> if you're on Upwork, you're just giving your money away for no reason, right? Now, and that said, this this world is so big that I'm sure those companies will do just fine, right? And we're yeah, or be at both. Yeah, yeah, it's all the above, right? And we're not here to eat their lunch. Like, we're we're creating new markets by so when you drop when you drop fees, you enable new larger transactions to touch marketplaces that couldn't touch mm. them before, right? So like. Porsche would have never taken their $100,000 a month job to Upwork and given Upwork 35% of that as a a fee, right? That's stupid, right? They would have just hired Edelman and paid even more for it. And so so they come to Trust and they're like, look, we know what we're paying, 10%, well worth it. We know who we're getting because these guys are really transparent. And so we're growing the market here.
2: Mm, Yeah, I like it. Although I'd push you to be more, uh, you know, we're going to, we're gonna take over the world. Uh, no, your points are very valid. That makes a lot of sense. It is it an unfathomably large market, especially well, when you can, you can take over the at
1: world the, without, without hurting competitors.
2: Yeah, know? that's true. Yeah. yeah, you lift them two, up. Rising <laughs> tide. <two. laughs> <Two. laughs> yeah. It's yeah, it is it is mind blowing when I think about the number of people who are just coming online in parts of the world, like India and Southeast Asia. I forget what the number is. Something like millions of i want to say millions in the people a day and yeah as as, as, it's almost like as a collective human mind hive where you know starlink is providing internet to everyone we're all connecting and um yeah it is it's it's kind of mind-blowing to think about the implications of all of it even in the next few years
1: yeah, look, I think this old model of, like, you know, when you and I got out of school, like, you go work for a consulting firm or you try to get a software gig and, like, you know, you, you go work for a corporation and the corporation sort of warehouses talent, um, that's the old way, right? It's just, it's like, that's going away. People, corporations are unbundling um, talent, you know, freelance talent across all industries. We're just in tech right now. Think about when this happens to legal and accounting and compliance people, all these other knowledge workers, right? It'll all unbundle, and you know they'll use networks like Braintrust to you know to find gigs on their own terms, and it's better for talent, and it's better for companies, right? Companies don't want giant payrolls; they want to be able to spin up, spin down flexibly. So it's a real win-win. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the challenge I interviewed a guy uh, who's the CEO of Deal, and they. They're trying to make it so you can hire anyone in the in the world uh, just as easy as you hire someone, say, in the U.S. If you're U.S. based, but it's surprisingly difficult. I I was talking to a friend of mine who has a it's like a 200 person company, and he's he's like, we can't. My CFO won't let me hire people in South America because the cost to onboard them and the, the legal risk and everything else is just too high. And it felt like, oh man, that's a frustrating problem to not have interoperability across different country uh, employment rules. Um, yeah. So I mean, maybe something to, if you haven't thought about that, I don't know how you, layer that on the. we, uh, we, we, we built a lot of that stuff. We, we're not perfect and we're
1: not, we don't support all, every country we'd like to, but we, 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 that's a, a big part of using brain trust as a client is we, we abstract away all that stuff and we take care of it for you.
2: Uh, so facilitates all the payments. Yeah. In the network. Cool, man. Are there other parallel marketplaces you use to either write the paper on it or just learn about the economic or the
1: you know, we, structure? Of it? We learn. So, I mean, I'm a, I'm a crypto guy at, at heart. And so we learn from DeFi. We, we watch how yeah. these protocols learn. Like, you know, Robert Leshner is the founder of Compound Protocols, so, a Good friend and one of our early investors in brain trust, and you know he's yeah that project's a, yeah. a year or two ahead of of where we are. So I got to learn a lot about you know um, you know how to steer this thing. And, and DeFi is just sort of it's what we're doing. It's just in a you know adjacent category where they're connecting buyers and sellers around um, loaning money and crypto and money markets, and we're doing it around you know talenting and, and clients. But it's you're just they're both marketplaces at the end of the day and decentralized. So we learn a lot Mm. from them. We actually forked our governance system, our token voting system from Compound.
2: Oh, interesting. Interesting. That's very helpful. (laughs) Uh, Adam, where can people reach you? Are you on uh, Twitter actively or where can people? Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, I'm on Twitter,
1: Adam Jackson SF. uh, And then you can find Braintrust at braintrust.com.
2: Nice. Are you long San Francisco? Are you going to be there Uh, through and through? (laughs) You know, it's funny, like, Uh, A lot of people I know are like, they love to shit on San Francisco, but
1: they're not leaving. (laughs)
2: Yeah. (laughs) Oh, that's the worst.
1: (laughs) We have this incentive to shit on them. So we get rid of the, the idiots who run the city, you know, the supervisors Mm -hmm. and the DA and these terrible people that need to go. Um, so the city can come back and be better. Um, and so I'm, I'm, uh, but I am long San Francisco. I think the Bay area is great. I still live here. Um, but I'm long many other parts of the world too. You know, like we have so many amazing talent in Eastern Europe and Southeast Asia and South America. And, you know, it can't just be all about the Bay area, right? It's like, this yeah. like, we, we need to eat like talent. Global talent is equally distributed. Opportunity is not. Brain trust exists to sort of close that gap.
2: Yeah, no, it makes sense. It's, it's uh, yeah. Awesome to see. I lived a couple of years in San Francisco and, I agree with you that that there needs to be some significant change to the governance of that place. But uh, yeah, I really enjoyed the conversation, man, and congrats on all the progress. Um, uh, any any special way to get in? Is there an invite link we can share with people, or maybe we'll put that in the show notes if you yeah, have go, one? Or
1: go to usebraintrust.com slash hire, and mm-hmm. that is the best place to start the journey. Um, and um, yeah, we'll
2: be publicly launching this thing later this year. Awesome. All right, my man. Mike, great to see you. Thanks so much for having me. Take care. Thank you for listening to Around the Coin. If you enjoyed the show today, consider giving us a quick review wherever you listen to podcasts, tweet about it, or text it to a friend. We really appreciate all the support and growing that we can. If you have any guests you'd like us to bring on or feedback for us, don't hesitate to reach out. We would love to hear from you.
0: Have you ever felt that your life has no meaning? Do you wake up in the morning dreading the day ahead? Do you feel lost? I'm Tanner Campbell, host of the podcast Practical Stoicism. Every Saturday morning, I explore the ancient texts of Stoicism and derive from them practical takeaways that anyone can implement to live a more contented and fulfilling life. Search your podcast listening app of choice for Practical Stoicism and join me each week to explore Stoicism practically and discover how it can help you live better.